0: I don't know whether any of you uh, saw it on the TV over the past, it's probably the past week or so. Uh, I think it was a ground-breaking. Uh, it was certainly, uh, I'm pretty sure it was an award-winning documentary. Uh, it's called How to Change the World. Uh, it's the story of Greenpeace. It's a fantastic documentary, excellent portrayal of a movement which started off in the 1960s, and really emerged dramatically in the 1970s. Uh, Some of us are probably old enough, I guess, to remember that work emerging, to remember it exploding onto the scene. Some of you will have grown up with Greenpeace just a part of life. Uh, But I remember when it was first emerging, and uh, it it was a bit of a rebel mission, really. It was uh, against the norm. It seemed subversive. Uh, And yet when we now look at what we are doing to our planet, we understand the power of that movement back in the 1960s and 1970s. What I found fascinating, uh, astounding really, was how one of the most influential first movements... ...of Greenpeace actually worked out. They'd they'd done various things... ...and then they chartered a a boat... ...called the Phyllis Cormac, uh, ...and they emblazoned it across the front with Greenpeace. And their mission was to travel... uh, ...into the whaling areas off California... ...where the Russian whaling fleet... ...were looking to uh, catch whales, hunt whales... Uh, and gather the blubber for all of the use that it's used, cosmetics and refined oils for all sorts of things in those days. Some of you will remember the phrase "save the whale." It came to a point where they had they'd been they'd been kind of sailing for a week or so up and down the area, hundreds of miles of ocean, where they thought that the Russian fleet would be. One of their guys had gone into the whaling, um, the whaling Museum in Norway, undercover, and he'd gone through all of the documents and he'd seen over the seasons where the Russian fleet would be around about at this time of year. And they went there, sailing up and down over hundreds of miles of ocean with nothing much more than a pair of binoculars and a bit of a radio to try to work out whether they could locate uh, the Russian vessels. It got to a point where they had two days' worth of fuel left to be able to sail up and down, and they only had enough fuel then to return to shore. What should they do? They hadn't found the Russian fleet. They were into a whole load of wacky, weird, new-age stuff on the face of it, uh, and they pulled out something called uh, uh, Hexa- the hexagrams of the I Ching. And if anybody who's really into a knowledge of all of that stuff, later on, you can correct me where I've got it wrong. But essentially, they pulled out these I Ching discs. And there were four hexagrams out of 64 that were giving them the indication to stay where they were. They cast the first four of these discs, bounced across the table, and the first came up. Stay. Okay, let's cast it again. One of the other four symbols came up. Stay. Cast it again. There's only four out of 64. Cast it again. Stay. There was a skeptic. On the boat, probably a bit like me, <laughs> and she said, This is, you are nuts. Just make a logical decision. And they said, Well, you cast the I Ching. She cast the I Ching. Fourth symbol stay. Wow. They stayed. And from that, moment, Greenpeace as a movement, I would suggest, has been one of the most significant factors in changing our thinking on the ecology of this planet. What on earth has that got to do with Christmas, you might say? I'll give you the link. There's a verse in Proverbs, chapter 16 and verse 33, that for me makes... A God ordained statement over four casts of the I Ching. And it's this the lot is cast into the lap, but every, its every decision is from the Lord. I am not suggesting, by the way, <laughs> that our approach now is to go and buy a box of I Ching and whatever you do with it, throw it on the table. What I am suggesting is that there are moments where decisions are made outside of any kind of Christian perspective, any kind of Christian thinking, where decisions are made, whether it's through random computer generation, whether it's by a group of men and women sat around a boardroom who are arguing out and making a decision which is of strategic importance on a global scale, or whether it's a group of rainbow warriors throwing I Ching onto a table. However that decision is made, however that lot is cast into the lap, there is a perspective which informs us that behind all of that, there is a God who is shaping the events of this world. The lot is cast by unbelievers, by rainbow warrior, new age hippies, which is what they were, and yet behind that is the work of God. In something which seems so distant, so in, uh, unconnected from anything that could be in any shape or form religious or Christian and yet our Bible tells us that that is how God works at times distant from human intervention sorry distant from obvious Christian intervention clearly human intervention and yet it's God who is behind it and we see that in our reading today it opens up with a little phrase in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. I don't know how that decision was made. How do we know how Caesar made that decision? Whether it was a group of his uh, trusted, wise politicians, whether it was a group of thinkers, whether it was a spontaneous individual decision by one of the world's greatest leaders in human form, in human thinking, in human success, however it was made, here we have a decision. And that decision, you know, is so distant from any kind of decision that we could ever imagine has the mark of God upon it. It was made by a man he was incredible in historical terms. He was the great nephew of Julius Caesar, Octavius Augustus. Although there had been leaders of the Roman Empire, Caesar Augustus, uh, Julius Caesar being one of them, he was the first to take the title Emperor. Julius was dictator-perpetuous beforehand. He was the supreme ruler. Yet, we have this man, Caesar Augustus, who declares himself to be emperor over what was, at that point in time, probably, arguably, historians debate this in the relative terms of the Roman Empire compared with the Egyptian empire, but the general consensus was that in world terms, the Roman Empire at that moment was the greatest empire the world had seen up to that moment in time. And we would probably say that it continues to be the most influential empire that shapes our world today in so many ways. So many of the roads that we drive on today... Drive down a long straight road and chances are it's probably one of the roads that were built by the Romans when they uh, took possession of our land and wanted to move troops and provisions quickly around the country. Build excellent straight roads influencing, shaping way beyond their demise. It was a, it was a massive political, military, militarial uh, empire. And we have a decision made by a man who is emperor and yet took a step beyond that. He declared himself to be divine. He wrote his autobiography, The Deeds of the Divine Augustus. The Deeds of the Divine, Augustus. That was his autobiography. Uh, We just see how many people are going to get an autobiography book over the next few weeks. It's going to be either you'll buy it for someone else or you'll end up having one bought for you. There's not many who would entitle their autobiography The Deeds of the Divine, so-and-so and not say it in jest. (laughs) He was deadly serious. He saw what he had achieved. He understood the power of the connection between world perspective and supernatural divine perspective, and he declared himself to stand in the gap in between. He declared himself to be divine in this world, ruling over An empire which was, by definition, ordered, ordained by the divine. That's a massive statement, isn't it? That this man made. And here we have a decree that is made hundreds of miles, thousands or so, hundreds of miles, hundreds and hundreds of miles from our location, way over in Rome. One of the things that the Bible continues to do uh, from from its beginning, as we were looking, weren't we, at uh, the story of uh, Jacob and Joseph and the time in Egypt and all of those amazing events. One of the things that the Bible does is through the Old Testament and then through the New Testament, it creates a challenge between human power Human authority, human empire, and the power of God. That is an incredibly important idea behind much of the Bible. Creating a perspective for you and me, which asks, in the world that we live in today, what is the power? What is the authority? Who's in control? One of the things that the Bible repeatedly describes is the way that behind the scenes... There is the hand of God working against the empire of Egypt, against the Persian empire, against the Roman empire. Again and again, through the history of the world, we have the interweaving of the hand of God. Now I'll ask a question, if that's how God portrays himself in the Bible, how do we relate to that God today? One of the things that the Bible demands that we think about and come to terms with is that the God who doesn't change is the same God who is behind the events of the world that we now live in. Do you feel frightened at times? I do. I look around at the world that we live in today and there are times when it is a disturbing, frightening seemingly out-of-control world. A world which is way bigger than anything that I could ever come to terms with. Control. Order. We live in a world which is filled with fear, which is filled with power, where we have questions about what power is actually good, which of these powers are really good, which powers are really evil, Questions about whether we can walk our streets safely. Questions and decisions about how we intervene on a global scale. What do we do with that today? How do we respond to that today? Certainly we don't step back and say, don't worry about it, (laughs) it's all going to be okay. Yet at the same time, what we can do is we can encourage ourselves that the God who is behind the scenes in every event in the history of the Bible is the same God who is behind the scenes in every event in the history of our world today. That is great news. It's great news because what it says is that God the just and righteous who judged historically will continue to judge in the present. The evil deeds will not go without any response, without any justice. When somebody does something and they seem to get away with it, they have not yet faced the God of judgment. And that is great news. Let's see how this works out in our little section. Because what we have introduced is a massive event, a a, a decree across the whole of the Roman Empire, and a tiny event, (laughs) the birth of Jesus. Which is the biggest now, (laughs) in historical terms? The, The great decree of a census of Augustus, or the birth of a tiny baby in Bethlehem. I want to suggest that what this event brings and what we understand from it is a combination of two things. We understand the wonder of divine confrontation and the wonder of divine condescension. Confrontation and condescension. We can call that judgment and grace. Let's have a look at how that works out. Firstly, let's consider who was in control. Firstly, we see what I would say is a judgment. A judgment on the empire of Rome. You are making decisions, you are running this world as though it is your world. You are ordering the world without any reference to me. That is one of the great themes that we see worked out in the Bible. When humanity seeks to order the world without any reference to God, then that world power is, is judged. There is a sense of judgment against that here we have the Roman Empire with this wide census. And then what we see in verse 4 is just a little event. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. That massive decision in the powerhouse of political empire results in Mary and Joseph taking a journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. She was pregnant. A woman who was young and terrified, making an incredibly difficult journey because a Caesar has ordered that they will do it. And yet behind that is the wonderful commitment of God to fulfill his purposes in ensuring that the Savior of the world achieves two things. To come from Nazareth and to be born in Bethlehem. One of those two are little tiny pointers that begin us thinking, is this connected to everything that has gone before? The triumph of Jesus Christ being born in Bethlehem is seen in the fact that it took a statement from Caesar To move Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem because that's what God had ordained. Let me ask the question again who's in control? Who's in control at this moment in time? It's disarming, isn't it, for all of us when we suddenly realize that maybe we're not as in control as we thought we were in all sorts of situations. Have you ever had one of those uh, moments in the car? I've had a few on a bike over times when I thought I was in control and then I suddenly realise I'm far from in control. And there's a big spill and what seemed to be totally uh, in place suddenly is all over the place and there's legs and arms flying and there's wheels flying and all the rest of it. What seemed to be in control in my terms, suddenly wasn't. I guess what's even more amazing is that Caesar Augustus would never have known of the significance of his decree. He said that he would create a census of the the Roman Empire. It moved a young couple down to Bethlehem. And he would never have known. And yet here we are, 2,000 years later, considering the implications of one of, in historical terms, one of the least of Caesar's decisions. And yet in biblical terms, one of the most significant things that he did in the whole of his life. He wanted to work out how much he could tax his empire, and God wanted to make sure that the Savior of the world was born in Bethlehem. What an amazing comparison. So we now find our couple, Mary and Joseph, in the right place at the right time. The next question is this, judgment and grace, who does God engage with? Who would you expect to engage with, with a dramatic piece of news? Those with political power, those with social power, those with media power, that's how we would get a big message out today. That's why there are agents. That's why there are media organizations that are worth fortunes. Because of the power of using the right stream to get the big message out. The judgment is that God does not use the Roman Empire as the methodology for His communication of the birth of His Son. That's an amazing thought. The greatest power which is used to get Mary and Joseph into Bethlehem is from there on completely disregarded. You've done your job in this moment. You've achieved the purpose of bringing Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. Now, the greatest power in history can be ignored because I've got a message to bring to someone else. Outside of the powers of the Roman power, even locally, Herod, and the high priests, and the political powers of the likes of the senates in the area, we have some shepherds on a hillside. The the contrast can't be greater really. One of the things that I found amazing is that uh, I'd always imagined, you know, when we think of hillside, we think of the idea of a hill high up behind us, don't we? Actually, Bethlehem is higher than the hillside where the shepherds were. That's an interesting experience for me to come to terms with when when we saw it earlier on this year. There's Bethlehem, the little town, and then there's a great valley, and then there is a lower hill, which is known as the hill of the shepherds. It's where they were known to keep their sheep, to tend their sheep overnight. It's actually lower than Bethlehem. I was, in my mind, I always had the shepherds kind of up there behind, traveling down. Actually, they'd have dropped down and then climbed up into Bethlehem higher. And yet what we see at this moment in time is that there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. What a moment. It's one that we are just so familiar with that we can sometimes lose the impact, can't we? We're just so used to this. We have the tea towels with the ties around the the head of the little children while they're doing their nativity plays. And we're all really aware of this story. We've just got it. And yet what it was for a group of shepherds, men out in the fields in the middle of the night, probably trying to warm themselves around a little fire, there was the explosion of the eternity of heaven Breaking into their experience. That there was a window from the temporary to the eternal. It's as though there was a crack in the visibility between the two. I can't explain it any better than that. I don't know what it looked like, but I know that it was terrifying. They crumbled. They were terrified by this experience. And yet, while they were terrified, heaven was speaking. Isn't that an amazing thought? Heaven was speaking. We live, um, we live in a pretty skeptical world, don't we, when it comes to the supernatural. <clears throat> Yvette Fielding, I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here, just got kicked off a few days ago. Blue Peter presenter, she also presents Haunted and Most Haunted, a program which tries to create some sort of connection between the ghostly world of the supernatural and the world of the temporary, the us. It's fascinating, we want to control that, don't we? We want to control that world, keep it it under our control. Introduce TV cameras, introduce recording, keep it contained. (laughs) When the supernatural world of the God who created the universe breaks into our temporary moment, it is a terrifying experience and it is outside of our control. That's what the shepherds experienced. Our sceptical world might want to try to contain that, explain it away, or have it in some sort of uh, real-life documentary experience. But what this says is that when God determines to speak directly, it is a frightening thing. And yet it is an astoundingly gracious thing. A group of shepherds, Not exactly the most salubrious, most powerful, most influential group of people in the world. Just ordinary people going about their work. Eking out a living. Surviving. While behind them Bethlehem is going crazy because of all of the people that are being dragged into this little town. As they travel from around Israel to arrive in in Bethlehem to register for this census that Caesar Augustus, this Caesar that they've never seen, they don't know much about, but they know that he's causing chaos in our world. We are a nothing in this. We are nothing. And yet God decides, I am going to declare to you that my son is to be born. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. What a statement. One of the things that I have experienced in conversations once or twice is a almost a paralyzing sense of unworthiness. That the message of the good news of Jesus... The message of forgiveness, the message of the God of creation engaging with me, could, could be: I, How can I be worth it? Isn't that encouraging when we see that, in all of the powers of the empire, a tiny little group of shepherds are chosen to de- to have the great news of the birth of Jesus declared to them. I find that so encouraging, you know. Because it starts a theme with Jesus that repeats again and again and again and again. I have not come for the powerful and the mighty and those who think themselves above me. I have come for the broken and the downhearted and the outcast and those who don't feel themselves worthy of me. That's who I've come from. In fact, one of the prerequisites of knowing Jesus, as that we realize that that's who we really are. That I am nothing. That I am broken. That I am an outcast from the glory of heaven. And yet, by grace, He wants to engage with me. He wants to speak to me. He wants to put me, in a sense, in the place of those shepherds as an outcast nobody, and yet engage with me. It's great news. That's why it is the gospel, the good news, Of Jesus. They travel down. And then back up. To Bethlehem. And they start to spread the news. They hurry off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby. Who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him. They spread the word. Concerning what had been told them about this child. Fascinating isn't it? How do they respond? They do what the angels say for the first point. They travel to Bethlehem. And then they find precisely what was said out on the hillside is what they discover. They see that it's real. And they spread the news. I think we can close with this. There are three responses to the coming of Jesus into the world and these three responses remain consistent for today there's a fourth one which is a complete disregard we can we'll park that one we'll put that in the place of caesar augustus but the can firstly there can be amazement we can sit here and we can be amazed they spread the word concerning what they'd been told them about this child And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. They were amazed. It's amazing this. It's incredible. They heard this out on the hills. And now this is what's happened. This is an amazing thing. There is a danger that being amazed is as far as it gets. We can be amazed and then we can walk away. Like some kind of divine fireworks display that we think is great and then we wander away from and it has absolutely no impact on us whatsoever. We can be amazed and, and ignore from there on the coming of Jesus. There is another thing that we can do in verse 20. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. I don't know, I don't know the outcome of the lives of those shepherds. I think think the indication is that they became true believers in Jesus and they praised for the rest of their lives. But, it is possible to praise and then to walk away. That's one of the things that we see in the life of Jesus. There are those who followed Him. They were well excited by this Jesus. They were praising Him, and then something happened. He said a few things that were really hard to come to terms with. I'm out of here. It is a reality that we can truly, in our minds, praise Jesus, and then walk away. I'm not saying that that's what the shepherds did. I'm just raising that warning that we can do that. But there is something else which is incredibly powerful in this little section. It sits in between. This woman, Mary, how did she respond? Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. See, for Mary, it didn't stay out there. It went in there. I find that amazing. That it actually took a declaration from heaven for Mary to continue that pondering work of the work of God in her heart. A continuation of the declaration that had been made to her, a fulfillment of what had happened, and then another declaration out on a hillside that came right back into where she had just given birth to Jesus. But the response for Mary... Was not just amazement, it wasn't just a praise that disappeared away, it was something that was treasured in her heart. What does it mean to treasure something? To weigh carefully in our minds, to think it through, to retain it, to keep it in store for future use, to value it, to see it as something of incredible importance and value to regard it and treat it as precious, to cherish it, to keep it away so that at some point in the future we have a resource which we can come back to. As we begin this Christmas period, I want to encourage you that as we think about the various events of Christmas, that we don't just think Christmas is amazing and then wander away. That we don't praise and then don't get changed. (laughs) But that we do all of those. We are amazed. We do praise, but we treasure them in our heart. We treasure the thoughts in our hearts because when our hearts are changed, we are truly changed. And may the power of God, by the power of His Spirit, do that for us over these coming weeks.